Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. You guys crack me up sometimes. I know you're not this quiet at your houses. Like, hi, and sit down in your seat. And Anyway, I love you guys. It's good. It's good to be here. Uh, you know what I want to do, actually, really quickly, as we open? Um, and if you would pray along with me. I want to, I'm going to do a prayer again. And I want to pray very specifically for, uh, again, the kids who are going to be here this coming week and their families. And so I just want to take a minute uh, to do that. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Uh, Lord, um, we know that uh, this week, again, just like we're all here on purpose, that there are going to be uh, dozens of kids here on on purpose. Um, and we want to take that responsibility um, uh well and 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 seriously, God, we're going to have a ton of fun, but we also want to present you in a way uh, that even the smallest child can understand. And so I pray for all of our teachers. I pray for those who are going to be leading games. I pray for those who are going to be in the craft time. I pray for those who are going to be doing music. I pray for uh, those who are going to be in the parking lot directing and welcoming people. I pray for those who are registration uh, people who are just going to take care of everyone's needs. Um, God, I pray for our techs, those who are running video and audio and lights. I want to pray for every volunteer that you've uh, provided us with for this week. And again, I will give you, and we ought to give you, all the praise and all the glory uh, for what's going to uh, come of that. God, you have invited children into your kingdom. There's no limit on that. Um, your example all throughout the Bible just shows uh, love for children, and so I pray that we would be an extension of that here in this time and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of children, I want to give a happy birthday to my son. He turns 15 today, and I am very proud of him. Um, and uh, being a parent is the hardest thing I've ever done. So I know some of you feel me on that as well. We're in a series called The Gospel of Jesus. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, series and one that I'm excited about and also that people have, uh, I think, um, has connected on, on some level. And we're going to continue that today. But I also realize every time I come in here that, you know, there's going to be new people and, and maybe kind of in a different place. Um, and then we have people kind of all different places, like about Bible and what they know about the Bible. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to kind of go through why we're even talking about this and what the deal is. And so when I started this series a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Bible itself. It's actually, it's not a book. It's a collection of 66 different books, and it's broken out into the Old and the New Testament. And I had a chart and everything, and I showed you that. And I'm going to keep bringing that up as we continue to grow and, and expand our knowledge. Um, but we are in the New Testament. So this is all the books in the New Testament kind of tell about Jesus' life. All the Old Testament was before that. Tell about Jesus' life, and then afterwards. 
And so uh, we started out, we're in this interesting place where the first church is starting out. We're used to church because that's all we know. There's always been churches ever since we've been born. But back in the day, there was this new thing, this new religion, this new way. In fact, that's what it was called, the way. And so we looked at the book of Acts and say how this whole thing got started. And of course, then you hear these terms like apostles and saints and all that. Well, these are people that walked with Jesus and also were instrumental in the founding and the starting of the earliest churches, uh, Christian churches in the world. And so that brings us to a guy named Paul. And Paul's a really interesting story. We talked about this because he was super religious, super strict. We might use the word legalistic. Maybe some of you guys know churches like that. But he was like, he was one who was known for his like rigor and he was very straightforward and he didn't like Christians. And so we see his life was about actually persecuting Christians until he had this moment in time where God got a hold of him in a very supernatural way and he kind of turned his life around and he became this person who went through all the world and started churches and started teaching about Jesus and this way, right? So now here we are in what would we would know as modern day Turkey and it's about 50 or so BC, 48, 49, 50 BC, and he's writing a letter to this group of churches that he had started a few years earlier. That's why we're in the book of Galatians. And if you have a Bible, you could take that out. Or if you want to get there on your phone, you can do that as well. So he's writing this book. And uh, this, as we understand it, is probably his very first book he ever wrote. Which is interesting because he wrote really about half of the New Testament as we know it. So this is his first book he ever wrote. And honestly, what's crazy about it is it's different more than any other book that he wrote. He's very direct, and he's very straight to the point, and there's something bothering him. In fact, he's kind of ticked off. So he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I am shocked. Or another word you can use is I'm astonished. I marvel. That you are turning away so soon from God, he says. And you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. So again, if you're like me, whether you're a Christian or not, and whatever, like that kind of, I'm tuning into this. Like, where is he going with this? What is actually happening? What's going on here? He's fired up. He's like that parent who's like, listen. I taught you better than this, right? Have you ever said that to your kids? You know better. I got that a lot. Uh, the gospel, the good news, is under attack. And he's compelled to set the record straight. And so, so we started talking about this over the last couple of weeks. And, and I'm just going to do a quick review. So we looked at chapter 1. Um, and we talked about what the gospel is. And I started by saying, here's what the gospel is not. First of all, the good news, the gospel, is not reasonable and it's not logical. Okay, and again, I, I, you can go back and, and listen to that. It's also not religion, which is where a lot of us and a lot of what we know and just assume have gone wrong. Because religion is about a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, right? He says, that's not what the gospel is. He also says, hey, it's not exclusive. This is open to anyone, 
anywhere, anytime. So then I went and said, what is the gospel then? Well, first of all, it's personal revelation. Just like Paul had. God, you experience God in a moment, in a very personal way. Second thing is as opposed to religion, it's a personal relationship. You could walk with God, talk with God, be with God. It is a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Now, it does expand beyond that. And we're going to talk about that. But, but it's a personal thing. And finally, it's by God's work alone. So I questioned, I asked a couple questions. I'm like, what are we trying to add to our faith in order to gain this right standing with God? Or I took it actually another level deeper because I think this is where the church messes up. What are your expectations on other people for what you think they need to do or be about in order to be a Christian, in order to follow Jesus? The gospel of Jesus is Jesus and nothing else. And when you have Jesus and nothing else, you have everything. And so that was kind of the point of chapter one. And then last week, as Carrie looked and brought the message, she looked at Paul's continuing diatribe about what the gospel is and what it is not. And we were introduced to this term called justification, which is a big fancy church term that we don't use often. But it's a, it's a law term. It has to do with uh, legality. And so, again, he starts talking about this illustration. It's kind of like you're in a courtroom, and he makes a judgment, and he says, when you are justified, God sets you perfectly right with him. Once and for all, by the way. He just declares you. He, he's saying, you're free. You are righteous. You are acceptable. And that is a really important thing, that you all, we all need to know about what the gospel is. And I love that because uh, she talked about this, this idea. You go into the courtroom, and a lot of times it's about judgment, right? Which, again, sounds familiar. But actually, when we go into God's courtroom, he's adopting us, and that's a happy thing. We are now officially his children, and it's made official, and he declares that. So... Here's the issue that's happening here as Paul's writing this. There's all these really influential religious people, rabbis and priests at the time, who were saying, no, that's not enough. You actually have to do this, this, and this. You actually, what they're really saying is you have to become Jewish. Which for people who weren't of the Jewish tradition or faith or culture was a complete, like, out of nowhere. That's like a shock. It like, doesn't make sense. And that's why he brings up things like circumcision, which was a very Jewish thing. It was identified someone as Jewish. So it's kind of weird when we look at the Bible and we talk about it. It's like, why in the world would that be brought up? But it's just to illustrate the point that we don't need to conform to any way because when Jesus came, he set the record straight from then on forward. We, it wasn't about rules. It wasn't about following religion. Here's what I started thinking about this week. Why did that even become an issue, though? Like, how did people get to that point? Why were they giving credence at all when Paul talks to them very clearly, like, this is what you're supposed to do? And here's the thing. False teachers, people who are telling you false information, listen, let's just admit it. We fall for it. It's very appealing. They're very good at convincing us. And if Hope Church is your church and you've listened to me speak and you tuned in, uh, you know, at all, I really, you know, I really struggle 
confessing my sins here, with grace towards Christians sometimes. Who are the ones who kind of get up on their high horse and say, no, this is what we expect and this is what you need to do. And it's really something I got to work on. And it's difficult because I feel like in my position, it's like literally a daily thing. Because let's face it, some of the most aggravating and annoying people that we know call themselves believers and followers of Jesus. And I don't think it needs and should be that way tends to be the most judgmental, unforgiving type people on the planet who like to make it hard for other people. And here's what strikes me about the Bible, and I want you to hear this. It seems that certainly Jesus and actually Paul in this whole book, his harshest words are for Christians. The most poignant, harshest words in all of the Bible are not pointed at people who are not a part of the faith or far away from God. They're pointed at people who call themselves Christians and act opposite. And Jesus had zero tolerance for that. In fact, so much so that the religious leaders of his day actually sentenced him to death. Did you realize that? It was the religious people that sent Jesus to the cross. Paul, as he's starting the church, had zero tolerance for it too. Again, which is very unique because he was that legalist person until he had literally the brightest light bulb moment of his life. And God, you know, supernaturally did a work in him. So I really see this book as an indictment for Christians. So we talk about the gospel and it seems so basic. I'm telling you, it's anything but. We need to let this, even as believers, if you've been following Jesus a long time, sink into your heart what we're talking about in this series. This book is still relevant to us. Why do we make it so hard for people on the outside? Why? Why? Have you ever heard of this thing called complexity bias? Anybody? No? It's a psychological term, okay? Complexity bias. And uh, here's, here's what uh, complexity bias is. When people are faced with two competing hypotheses, we're likely to choose the most complex one. It's very fascinating, and I could go on into this more, but the idea is, as human beings, we just naturally tend to complicate things and to complicate matters. And I'll just say this, sometimes the gospel of Jesus, as we're talking about it, is rejected because it just seems too simple. We feel like it needs more. And yet this is simply what Jesus says. Listen, you guys know this verse, again, whether you go to church or not. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he says something else. He goes, come to me, everyone, all of you who are weary, you're worn out, you're burdened. And you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy. And my burden is what? It's light. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's the heart of the gospel. So now we get to chapter 3 and 4 in Galatians. And Paul continues He's still going with this same argument. He starts out chapter uh, 3, verse 1. He says, oh, foolish 
Galatians. Bunch of fools. Actually, the, here, uh, the word here connotes laziness and maybe even intellectual laziness. He goes, stop being lazy in your thinking. Be more thoughtful, you fools. <laughs> he goes on and says, the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. He says, I painstakingly went through and taught you everything. And Jesus made it so perfectly clear. It's like a painting was made right in front of you. By the way, I watched Bob Ross for the first time a couple weeks ago. I was so impressed. I texted my wife who's at work. I'm like, guess what I'm doing right now? I'm watching Bob Ross. But, it, but, but here's, here, uh, here's what it reminded me of when I, when I said that. You know, sometimes, um, and I'm not an artist at all, like the worst in this room probably. But you know how like you're, maybe you maybe paint a picture or you're drawing a picture and it doesn't look right so you just kind of start adding more to it. And that doesn't look right so you kind of try to tweak it and add more to it. And all of a sudden you just have this like mess of stuff it seems like, right? And that's kind of like what we do with the gospel. It's kind of like what we do in the church. We keep adding and adding to it. And so Paul says, listen, I had this, made this clear once. Here's what we need to do. We need to wipe this thing completely clear again and start from scratch. And so even you, if you're feeling like, oh, maybe we already talked about this, obviously what he's trying to say is, let's start again. Let's really look at what's happening here, right? And so he goes way back to the beginning. Because these teachers, and I'm going to be super quick here, but it's just for context because our context is so different from what it was then, okay? So there's these people, they're called the Judaizers. They want people to basically become Jews. And these are religious leaders. And they were teaching customs and laws. And all the people outside of that, they wanted to conform to those laws to be a part of the church. And so he goes way back to the beginning. And he brings up some people in the Old Testament, kind of like the beginning of the Jewish nation. And there's this one guy called Abraham. You may have heard of him. I'm not sure if I had slides for this, but I'm going to go here because we see this interaction that God has with Abraham. Genesis 12:3, he says to Abraham, all the families on earth will be blessed by you. Keyword, all. Okay. So way back, all the way in the beginning of the, the history of the Jewish nation, he's like, it's not just Jewish people. He says, all the nations are going to be blessed by you. All right, then I skip over a couple chapters in Genesis 15. It says, and Abram, Abraham, Abram. What's the next word? Is it up there? Is it no? I don't, maybe I don't have it. And Abraham, oh, there it is. What? Believed the Lord, and it counted unto him as righteousness because of his what? Do you see any mention of rules, regulations, laws there? Do you? No, in fact, the law didn't come until hundreds of years later to this guy named Moses, who, by the way, he mentions in that in Galatians 3 here too. And the reason why I'm saying this is, is because, again, I'm trying to put us in that day and that under, in a context that the people at this time would understand because Abraham was known as the father of the Jewish nation. And so this would be very, very familiar to them in their churches and synagogues of the day. So Paul goes all the way back to the beginning and says, even from the beginning, the Ten Commandments weren't even around yet, by the way. And it was this belief 
and faith in God. That was the most important. The law has nothing to do with it. Okay, so he goes on to explain further at the end of chapter 4, and I'm kind of between 3 and 4 today. That's what we're teaching out of. It says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. Again, he's going way back historically. One from his slave wife, by the way, his name was Ishmael, who was the son. And another one from his freeborn wife would be Isaac. And the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born of God's own fulfillment of his promise. See, here's the thing. God promised him, Abraham, that they would be the father of this nation and all the families would be blessed by him. Here's the problem. They were way past the age where they can give birth. And so they kind of got impatient and he ended up having a baby with one of his servants, Ishmael, because they were trying to do it on their own. Do you see where I'm going with this? They were trying to make something happen, kind of like religion today. And so he's using this kind of as an allegory, as an illustration here, okay? And he goes, dear brothers and sisters, our children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort. And he persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. And what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with a free woman's son. Dear brothers and sisters, it's like he's pleading to them, right? We are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So again, what Paul is saying, he's going back and saying, it has never been about what you do and about law. It is about faith and belief in Jesus. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, which we're taking on by our own effort, right? This is what another book in Paul, he's writing this. He goes, it's according to his mercy and his grace that he saves us. So now that we are overly clear, Let's talk about what is promised to us for the last few minutes here. When we understand and believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ, what is the gospel of Jesus promise us when we accept him as our Lord? We ready to move forward on this? Yeah? You with me? So number one, first thing, if you're taking notes. The gospel of Jesus promises freedom. Freedom. Galatians 3.22, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom by believing in Jesus Christ. Over in chapter 4, he goes, when the right time came, this is one of the most famous passages in the Bible, by the way, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and God sent him to buy our freedom when we were slaves. Make no mistake, we are prisoners to our own sin. Contrary to what you may have heard or what popular belief is, we are not born good people. We are born with a sinful nature. You don't have to tell your kid what's right and wrong and how to behave right and wrong. They are just, when they want something, they're going to do it and they'll do whatever they need to. It tells you right there, listen, they don't have this holy nature within them. They're demanding something, right? No one was perfect other than Jesus. And so when we trust and believe that Jesus died for our sin, he provides freedom from that once and for all. 
He says in this chapter, and I'm not going to go through this, Paul says the law was useless, uh, was, was useful for a while. He goes, it wasn't like it was like, uh, not, it, what it was was it pointed out how bad people were. The sinners that we, we actually were. So back in that time, as they were following the law, they realized they couldn't attain that by themselves, right? That's why they had to bring sacrifices and atonement for their sins. That's what that whole thing was about going back into the temple. And then Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice, right? And atoned for the sins of the whole world. This is the gospel of Jesus. Number two, the gospel promises family. The gospel promises not just freedom, but when we truly receive Jesus, it promises us family. Touched on this a little bit last week, but Galatians 4, he goes on with this, with this argument. He goes, God sent his son to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he can adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. By the way, are you seeing some similarities between what we're reading and the song we just sang? I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. And that's one of the promises of Jesus. That's right out of Scripture. We accept Jesus. We become his family. We are now kids of a loving father. That word Abba there, that's, it was a, a term of endearment. It was very personal. It's like, it's like a child calling uh, a parent daddy. It's a very personal term. And so that's the term he's using here. He's like, you have a dad who cares for you and loves you. And if you have kids at all, like I mentioned before, you don't realize the lengths and the love that you would, you know, the lengths that you would go for the love that you have for your kid. You would do anything for them. God looks at us the same way. And by the way, as an added bonus, he goes on, you receive an inheritance. This inheritance that God gives, this eternal life, and so many other blessings beyond that. And again, we could compare that to, you know, as, a, as a, a parent dies and they leave things to their children. Now, again, I apologize to my children in advance. I already have. The inheritance will be very measly on this earth. But God is rich beyond measure. And he leaves us that inheritance. The worst part, about life as we know it is forever destroyed and all the best things about life as we know it are ramped up times infinity because of the inheritance God gives us in heaven when we die. Number three, he promises us freedom. He promises us family. Number three, he promises us the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.14 says, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's all of us, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a sign. It was from the beginning and through that we have received God and he is in with us. This is God living inside of us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So what, as we go through life, the Holy Spirit teaches us and he convicts us. He helps comfort us. He guides us. He corrects us. 
again, maybe one illustration as heat is a power source. And when we, you know, plug an outlet into the power source, man, good things happen. The lights turn on. We are able to do lots of different things. But, you know, it's always inside us. But we need to plug into that. We need to have access to the Holy Spirit. And four, and final, the gospel of Jesus promises equality. The gospel of Jesus promises equality. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 says, for, all, uh, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all, again, all these alls, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, inside, that should make all of our hearts sing. Every single barrier is erased when Jesus enters the picture whether that's racial, social, economic, age, all are welcome. God is no respecter of persons. In other words, the gospel is available free for all people. These are amazing promises of God. So as I wrap up, um, I want to bring us back. Because, again, one of my fears with a message like today is that we're kind of lost. We're not really sure where our bearings are. And you may be feeling that a little bit this morning. And part of that is because, again, these illustrations that he uses, and you read through this, and it's a very difficult passage to understand. And so we did like the 30,000-foot flyover to get our bearings. But for me, it's not just about knowing this stuff. Every time I'm up here, we need to make sure we're able to apply it. And so it's useful and helpful for us. And here's where I landed. These people forgot the story. The people he's writing to, the whole reason why he's amped up and writing this very direct letter is because the people forgot the story. And so he has to go through all that historical stuff to remind them of that. And so he comes in with full passion and vigor and says, please, I'm drawing this picture again for you so that it's not muddy, that it's completely clear. And I feel like I want to take that for me and with my most pastoral heart say, I'm trying to say for every single person in this room, I don't care where you are in your journey, pre-God, pre-Jesus, post we need to have a crystal clear understanding of what the gospel of Jesus is. So what is the gospel? Remember, anybody remember what that means? Actually, the literal word of what that means? The good news. And yet here today, I think there's a lot of people who wonder how good a news it is. I mean, we love getting good news, do we not? I thought my rose bush was dead last week. And I just bought it last year, and it planted, and it bloomed, and it was great. And then we were having a hard week with a bunch of stuff, and my rose bush was dying. And I said, do we have to get rid of it? And Sarah goes out in the parking lot, or the driveway, I mean, and she takes a picture, and she wrote on her text, she said, good news! It's alive still. 
And so we went and we pruned it. And again, I'm very excited about that. We like getting good news, especially in the middle of my crappy week. Except when we listen to the news today, it's almost an oxymoron because it seems like every time we turn on the news, it's not so good, right? And I'm afraid something in translation has also gotten lost in the church where we say we have this great thing and then we're turning people away because of our expectations. Not even turning people away, turning people off. They don't want to be around church. I get that. Then we start to overcomplicate with our complexity bias. And we all do it. And we forget the simplicity of the thing. Something for nothing? Tom, come on. We're so conditioned that that doesn't work for us, right? Something for nothing? I mean, our own just way we're born, the way we operate in the world and in our culture conditions us to believe that we must, or at least should, do something before we receive. Again, personal illustration, just recently, someone did a favor for me that I did not expect at all. I expected to pay for this service, and people said, you're a blessing, we want to bless you with this. And I had a hard time receiving that. Something for nothing? We're just conditioned. And yet Philip Yancey says in his book, what's so amazing about grace is the, fact that, the simple fact that the news of the gospel, this is profound, is never something that we would come up with on our own. Makes no sense to us. We think there's got to be more, but God says no. There's something called grace. Grace is what we call it when we receive something we did not earn, nor did we deserve it. Any favor that we receive is unmerited. That's the, by definition what grace is. Nothing, nothing makes sense about it. It's illogical. Here's another thing, as I was reading this book this week, is just profound and sticks out to me. What blocks us from God's grace is not God. It's us. The issue's us. Let me say it another way. God does not reluctantly forgive you. I'm going to say that again. God does not reluctant. Oh, I, I guess, I guess. You did all this stuff, but I guess. No. In fact, if you go and you look at the gospel of Jesus, illustrated by Jesus himself, there's all these wacky stories in the New Testament, and he calls them parables. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll maybe get some of these. If you're not, you can go look them up because I can't explain them because I'm out of time. But he, saw, he starts talking about things like the lost, the person who finds the lost coin. Or we know that parable of the prodigal son. But all these, all these stories, and what happens in those stories? That person who loses their two cents or whatever it is, is just walking around crazy, throwing up, I can't believe I found my two cents. It was an illustration that God says, he, he, he loves you so much. He's rejoicing over every sinner that repents and comes to him through faith. We don't deserve it. 
He doesn't reluctantly forgive you. He's the one running up the pathway to receive you even after you're squandered your whole entire life. Are you feeling me? The issue is us. We're the ones who think we're not deserving, not God. Deserve, the word deserve doesn't even exist in, as a word in the world of grace. And if you read through Galatians 3 and 4 more, you're going to see that God graciously did, gave us things, the inheritance. It was God's deal. The cost was on him. It was God's work. He did it all. So what is it that keeps us from accepting that? Because I think we get blocked up. And here's some of the things I think I'll go through this quickly. First of all, our pride. We have an overflated view of ourselves and our capabilities and what we can do. Number two, our ignorance. Maybe you are in here for the first time hearing anything about the gospel and good news. And so sometimes that gets in the way because we just don't even know how to accept that. Three, lies. There are forces outside of us that are actively working against God's goodness in your life. And we believe the lies. That's what was happening here in this passage. Four, people. You don't know how to receive grace, and neither do I, because we live in a world full of hypocrites. People who misunderstand grace. I could go on and on, but I'll stop there. Five, church. See above. Hypocrites. Judgmental. In fact, I would say this. If you asked a random stranger to give you a word that describes the church, I'm curious, do you think anyone would say the word grace? And finally, a world adrift. Something that keeps us from God's grace is we live in a world that we're constantly bombarded by that has no moral compass and we're just drifting. And I wanna call us back, just as Paul did for his people, to clarity about what this is. You do not deserve it. You do not earn it. It is only by God's grace. Let that sink in again for us today. It is not earned. It's free because the giver himself bore the cost of it all. Amen, amen. So, let's allow grace and truth to permeate our lives, okay, people? We should be doing more hallelujahs. This is the problem with the church, right? We get so, we get so like, oh, no. We misunderstand how deep the love is for us. And when we do that, what starts to happen? Our behaviors begin to change a little bit. We don't even realize it. Do you understand that? We start to think differently and act differently. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Because that's where, as we, this whole passage goes. He's painted the clear picture. And hopefully we've painted a clear picture. And now, what does that actually look like in the real world? So that's why I'm excited today. And I hope you are too. Let's pray. God, give us a fresh understanding today of grace. Help us not to bury that or to lose that. 
And God, may we live, truly live in the promises that you have already given us. That you give us freedom, that you give us family, that you give us the Holy Spirit. God, may we live in that each and every day. We love you and we turn our attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.